I was running a major corporation and I owned control of the San Diego charges and I found out that I couldn't treat it as a hobby. So I was at the crossroads. Either I sold the team or I sold National General and got out. Former NFL owner Gene Klein. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In the early 1960s, the San Diego Chargers were a powerhouse in the American Football League. In 1966, the franchise was sold to a very successful California businessman named Gene Klein, who paid the then very princely sum of $10 million. But after running the team for 18 years, Klein finally sold it in 1984. And a couple of years later, he wrote a book about his experience called First Down and a Billion. And that's when I met him. Now, I interviewed him just five days before Super Bowl XXI. So be sure and listen to the end of this interview to hear his prediction for the outcome of that game and whether it was accurate. So here now, from January 1987, Gene Klein. What prompts anyone to buy a professional football team? Well, I think you've got to be a little crazy. (laughs) Just like you have to be a little crazy to play professional football, but... Uh, I know in my case, I've been a football fan ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. And I defy you to walk down the street and talk to anyone who is a Washington Redskin fan who doesn't think he can do a better job than present management. So everybody's a Monday morning quarterback to some degree, and they all and everybody would love to be involved with a professional football team. I think that's a key. Not only do people want it, it seems prestigious, but it also seems so easy. Yeah, nothing to it. I mean, he should have passed. He should have ran. You know that this is wrong. You know you could have done it better. But that's that's what makes it so much fun. Now, you said in the book, and one of my favorite quotes, and I'm sure it'll go down in history, that your two happiest days were the day you bought the Chargers and the day you sold the Chargers. That's right. That's absolutely correct. I couldn't have been happier either day. <laughs> <laughs> I think people will be amused to read that it is not at all anything like what they expected. Well, you know, there have been books written by players, by coaches, by commentators, but never has there been a book written by an NFL owner. And I'm taking the fans behind the scenes and laying out the NFL as it really is into the owner's meetings, into the locker room, into the owner's box, into negotiations, into the drug problems, into the very, very ludicrous and many times funny, funny business of professional football. But I can hear what people are saying now. They're going to say, this is a great book. It's terrific reading, and it's so funny, but it's not true. He made all this stuff up. Every bit of it's true. Every last bit of it's the truth. It's, uh, and the truth is funnier than fiction and stranger than fiction. <laughs> but it occurred to me after getting several chapters in that on every other page there was something about Al Davis. And I can hear critics who will say, what has he got against Al Davis? I mean, it's, all right, you made your point in the first chapter that you don't like Al Davis and you don't like his, his practices. But why do you have to keep reminding us, hit us over the head every other page? Well, I, you know, we've had some very, very excellent reviews. The New York Times review was excellent. We just got a great review in the Houston Chronicle. We've had marvelous reviews, and no one seems to complain about that. Maybe no one likes Al Davis. Well, uh, who knows? That's his problem. But <clears throat> I really lay it out uh, about he and about the other, all the other owners, just as I see it. And it's it's said through my eyes. It's done through my eyes. And, of course, 
many times you're so close to the forest you can't see the trees, but I think I've seen a lot of trees, and I, I talk about a lot of trees in the book. Sounds like you had a lot of trees playing for you on the team. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the way you have explained why no NFL team is really, why the, why the better teams actually can lose money, it occurs to me, why would anyone, I mean, seriously, I asked you this at the outset, but more seriously, why would anyone really want to buy a professional football team if they know that as soon as they make it into a winner, they're going to lose money? Well, they, they make less money. They don't necessarily have to lose money. But owning an NFL team is a huge ego trip for anyone. Now, somebody makes $100, $150 million, some vast amount of money in real estate or whatever, some other enterprise. Nobody knows who he is except his wife and his employees. But by an NFL team and pretty soon, everybody knows that Jack Kent Cook owns the Washington Redskins. Everybody knows who Jack is. And that the same holds true for every owner of the NFL. So you've got a very big ego trip involved in owning a sports franchise. What were some of the perks you liked best when you were an owner? Well, the perks, you know, I don't know really if we had that many perks. I think it was a lot of hard work. It's a lot more arduous than you would believe. But I enjoyed being with the players. I enjoyed going to practice every day. I enjoyed spending seven weeks at training camp. You're out in the open in a health atmosphere. And you're watching young men perform physical tasks, and you're watching football as it just begins. You're watching a game plan put together. You're watching a season be put together. You're watching individual athletes against their opposite side, op- offense and defense, and you're able to learn so much about the intricacies of football. And suddenly, it's not as complicated as, as it appears because you, you're in on the inside of it and you see it. You're in on formulating what the other team does. It's a great deal of fun to watch the breakdown of films. You sit in the film and watch what happened last week and watch what your opponents are good at and what they're poor at and try to find ways to exploit their weaknesses and not play to their strengths. So they're not quite perks, but it's, it's a very interesting thing, especially if you're a fan. But in the end, you wind up, thank you, Alex. Well, that's right. Uh, the drug problems got to be horrendous. They just got to be impossible. And without mandatory drug testing, some real form of mandatory drug testing, they're not going to be able to get rid of drugs in professional sports. You've got to have heavy penalties and mandatory drug testing. But the, the drug problem was one of the problems that really drove me out of football. I decided after 18 years I had enough of this. My mother didn't raise me to be a cop. And I got tired of talking to enforcement people about this player doing this and that player doing that, not being able to prove it and having my hands tied because the union wouldn't permit testing of the players. So I decided to uh, get into horse racing where the horse's union doesn't object to them taking a urinalysis test. And uh, when your horse wins a big race, the horse's agent doesn't call you up and try to renegotiate the horse's contract. So I'm much happier now in thoroughbred racing and we've been very successful in racing than I I was to continue with the charges. The fun level kept dropping. The aggravation level kept rising until they passed each other and at that point I said to my wife, honey, I I think I've had it. Go go home. Now correct me if I'm wrong, you've had an opportunity since then to get back into at least partial ownership of a team, have you not? No. 
Oh, no, I've, no I've, I've had people approach me, but I, I there's no way this. 18 years is enough for one lifetime, maybe in the next life. After this short break, Gene Klein recalls how he chose between his company and his football team. Now back to my 1987 interview with Gene Klein. Some people who will, have, have, have many people who will read your book will 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 walk with you up to that point at which you had to choose whether you were going to go full-time with the Chargers or sell the team or do whatever and stay with National well, General. Uh, as I explain in the book First Down in a Billion, uh, I was running a major corporation uh, in the United States corporation called National General, and I owned the I owned control of the San Diego Chargers, and I found out that I couldn't treat it as a hobby. I couldn't run it with the back of my hand, so I was at the crossroads. Either I sold the team or I sold National General and got out. And being a football fan first and foremost, I said, well, you know, I've, I've done it with National General. We've done very well, so let's sell the company. It was a public company, sell it for the benefit of the shareholders, and I'll go down to San Diego and put my mind to work at a football team, and that's what I did in 1973. And there must have been a lot of times that you wondered, why did I do that? Oh, did I? I said, what are you doing? You've got to be out of your head. What are you doing? I mean, take what many people consider to be the greatest game ever played, our 41-38 win over Miami in the playoffs and overtime. Over four hours of sweating up and back, back and forth. Many times I put my glasses in my case, said, up, oh, we lost the game, and boom, we block a field goal. And uh, it was torture and sheer delight, but nothing could beat the high that we had coming home on the airplane that, that evening. Who, uh, who will like your book who is not a football fan? As somebody who, who knows nothing and appreciates nothing about football, will they well, like Well, I've had many people tell me what you told me, that uh, your wife knows nothing about football and could care less about business, and the book is a combination of football and business. And yet when they read it, they really enjoy it. The, uh, the reception the book has had has been phenomenal. The initial printing was 100,000. <clears throat> We're into the second printing, and it's a barely a month. So we've got a, a successful book on our hands. And the fact that the book is funny, it's humorous, it's, it, and it, it tell, talks as much about business as football, and it explains so much about football that people don't know and really takes you behind the scenes and you see some of the, the craziness and some of the ridiculousness and some of the fun of professional football, it, uh, and it appeals to a great many people. Did you have certain favorite people that you were associated with when you were uh, when you owned the Chargers? Yes, uh, all my executives were favorite people. My coaches, Don Coriel, Tommy Prothrow, I mean, people like that. It was just marvelous being around them. Uh, <clears throat> the great quarterback that we have, Dan Fouts, and Charlie Joyner, the super receiver, just marvelous, marvelous people. Not only good athletes. But fine individuals, fine young people, people that you, you, just a pleasure to be around. For you, was writing a book inevitable? I'm not really. I mean, after I sold the team, I turned to my wife one day. I said, you know, I really ought to write a book. <laughs> I mean, there's so much that, that happens when you own a professional football team. And I've had so much happen in my business life. I really ought to put it together and see if I can, I can make some sense out of it and write a book. But only if it, 
if it's got some humor in it, and only if I can find the, the proper co-author who can express in writing what I can do verbally. I'm, I'm reasonably good verbalizing, but I need somebody to really glue it together. And I, I met with and interviewed uh, over half a dozen people till I met David Fisher, and there was instant chemistry, and I think he's done a marvelous job of, of presenting me as I wanted to be presented and as I really am. And friends of mine who have read the book say, Gene, it's you talking. I mean, it just absolutely sounds like you. It is you. I said, well, it's supposed to be me. And uh, like it or not, people are buying it and reading it and having fun with it. You suppose people might, might say, well, gee, this Gene Klein must be a character. But, hey, David Fisher, he also wrote The Umpire Strikes Back. That was a pretty funny book. I wonder yeah. how funny Gene Klein really is. Well, uh, you know, funny or not, uh, I, you know, you want a book to have humor in it, not a dry book, something that just goes chapter after chapter with dryness, as so many books do. It's not a sports book in that it's not how I became a great quarterback or what my teammates did. It doesn't really appeal to a small group of people like a quarterback in Chicago would appeal to Chicago people mostly. Uh, it really has universal appeal in this country wherever football is played, and there's an awful, awful lot of business in first down and a billion. What you did, could anybody do? Could anybody start with a couple of used cars and, sure. and parlay that into... Why not? Why not? happens all the time. Jack Kent Cook started with nothing, and he's got the Washington Redskins and, and quite an empire, and I could go chapter and verse to Bartolo who owns San Francisco 49ers, is one of the great shopping center builders of the country. You've got families like the Ford family uh, that have inherited wealth, but they've, they've built upon it. And you've Rankin-Smith uh, in Atlanta, uh, Hugh, Culver, Hugh Culverhouse in Tampa Bay. You know, they all started out uh, with very little, and they ended up doing very well and being as crazy as I was and buying a, a professional football team. But it, yes, it can be done. Of course it can be done. Look at the Monaghan, the pizza man that bought the Detroit Tigers. Started out with nothing, was brought up in an orphanage, came out and just hit the streets, and he's off and running. Uh, and yes, in this country, thank the Lord, you, can, you certainly can do it. It's available to anybody that's got the talent and is willing to spend the energy and devote the time. It takes a lot of time and effort and you've got to be dedicated. I mean, you just have to put your nose to the grindstone. Have you spoken with any of your former co-owners about the book? Have sure. They, have they sure. seen it and they like it? Yeah, even people that I've uh, that are depicted uh, in, in not the most flattering terms, they laugh and they enjoy because they know it's true. <clears throat> These things really happen. I've gotten word that Leonard Toes, who, who I tell the, the truth about when I say that I think Atlantic City was built close to his money, built there because it's close to his money. He laughed. He thought it was funny, and it might be true. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that you did that you're very proud of, you got San Diego for the Super Bowl next year. That's right. That's right. Uh, I fought for a long time to get it, and that was really my crowning blow. Unfortunately, I was not able to put San Diego in the Super Bowl itself. The team itself, we came close twice. We were in the championship game lost both of them, but I did get a, a Super Bowl for the city of San Diego, and a year from now, San Diego will be the Super Bowl city. That makes me kind of proud. I'm just about out of time. I was wondering if I could get your prediction for this Sunday, the, the uh, Super Bowl scouting report from Gene Klein. 28-7 New York Giants.
I think the Giants are a tremendous defensive ball club. They beat two great offensive coordinators, ex-offensive coordinators of the Chargers, both of whom are steeped in the passing game and both of whom know offense. Bill Walsh, the held the San Francisco 49ers. Walsh used to coach for me the three points. Joe Gibbs, a good friend, coach of the Washington Redskins, shut them out. Now, when you can do that to teams like that, I don't see how Denver can score more than seven points against the Bears. Right. That means the score will probably be 49 to nothing Denver, but, but that's, that's my expert analysis of the game. Well, as we now know, Super Bowl XXI was not a 28-7 Giants victory. It was, in fact, a 39-20 New York win. Gene Klein died in 1990 at the age of 69. Now, you can find easy Amazon links to Gene Klein's book at our website, heardeverything.com. Is this the first time you've heard an episode of Now I've Heard Everything? Well, thanks for finding us. We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And you can find all of our past episodes, seasons 1, 2, and 3, at heardeverything.com. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, one of America's most famous and high-profile attorneys, my 2006 interview with Gloria Allred. I really feel that all of my clients have been my heroes because they have gone through the original trauma of having an injury inflicted upon them, whether it's discrimination or in some other way, and yet they have been able to prevail. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.